We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, you know, don't, don't make it. All right. Welcome, Hornets fans. Game two of the preseason produced another loss, this time to the Pacers, 122 to 97, dropping their record to 0 and 2 in the preseason. This is Richie, and we are live for another post game buzz in on Twitter spaces. As always, we'd love to get a speaker or two, and we should have time to. Get to your thoughts and your questions if you guys would like to step up on stage and, and ask us um, any question that you would like about the Hornets so far. I will be joined by BG. Brian, I, I hope you're doing well. I know that this preseason basketball stuff is hard to watch just naturally, uh, you know, from a year to year basis, but especially uh, these past couple of games. I'm not going to lie. My biggest revelation tonight was nothing that happened with the Hornets. It was actually that James Johnson plays for the Pacers. I had no clue. <laughs> yeah, I saw him on the bench at some point. You could see him. Uh, and it was like, wow. I mean, he's still the guy is going to end up carving out a 15-year career. And it's going to feel like the final five or six seasons of that. It's just going to be on different random teams every year, apparently. He just keeps <laughs> popping up. I mean, the last time I really remember him was, I, I feel like, Right, close my eyes and think about him. I'm like, yes, he was a part of that team. Was that like the like was the Heat team a couple of years ago that had that really good uh, second half to the season? But he's still around. I did also enjoy at one point the broadcast caught um, Gogo Bataze sitting on the bench for the Pacers. He was chewing gum, <laughs> and the, the piece of gum fell out of his mouth. Oh, really? The camera was on him. Yeah, I should have clipped it. Um, but anyways, those if those are your highlights, uh, yeah. it's uh, it um, it probably does not speak to a equality performance from the Hornets. And, and once again, this was uh, this was pretty pretty rough. So why don't we go ahead and, and get right into it? Yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, we can almost start anywhere uh, connecting our thoughts from last preseason game to this preseason game. I think. The transition defense, Brian, uh, like game one versus Boston was an issue. And that just feels like a trend, a running trend for several seasons that 
will never go away. Pacers really just outmatched the Hornets in getting behind the defense. They outmatched the Hornets in being more impactful in terms of paint scoring. I think the three-point shooting for both teams really was a struggle for the first, like, two and a half quarters. There were spurts for both teams where they started to hit some threes, but paint touches have been such a focal point uh, since Clifford spoke about it in media day. And I really want to keep my hopes up high, I guess, but I just know things are going to be much tougher than last year when it comes to that aspect of the court. I would think even when the Hornets did get into the paint, Pacers had a lot of block shots too um, at the rim, like Jackson and Turner obviously are good shot blockers. So I know we keep mentioning Miles Bridges about him being such an impactful player with the ball in his hand, but he he is going to be sorely missed when it comes to getting into the paint. And uh, Hornets are going to have to find ways to score in transition, but also, as Clifford says, by getting paint touches. I, I just think the Pacers did a better job of that than the Hornets did. The best spurt to me was in the third quarter, about midway through, before garbage time. I guess you can probably still consider that garbage time considering the score, but the Hornets did make a little bit of a comeback where they turned some stops into some transition buckets uh, and ran a ton of pick and roll through LaMelo and just let him slice up the defense that way. So it's funny. Momentum is is really a thing uh, in most sports, but you can kind of feel that. And I think LaMelo takes advantage of the stops getting out in transition. And when he was running that pick and roll with a full head of steam, it felt like he was finding open shooters, which to be honest, like it wasn't a thing that happened all game, but in that third (laughs) quarter, uh, that was probably the bright spot for this team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, In terms of what was the highlight for, for Charlotte was I thought LaMelo's pick and roll operation um, was clearly the best thing that or sort of like the most meaningful thing to take from tonight. Um, he made, I don't even know how many different kinds of passes out of the pick and roll pockets, empty side pocket passes. He, he hooked up with Plumley for one, um, kick out passes. He had a, a beautiful, like cross court lefty laser to, to PJ that PJ Washington did that really. I mean, PJ didn't shoot, but he made the extra pass swing, swing. I think it ended up, um, back to the, the side of the floor that Lamella was on for um, an open Ubre three, which he unsurprisingly uh, missed um, as he uh, missed a lot tonight, three of 14 shooting for Kelly Ubre, two of nine from deep. I've got some more thoughts on uh, Kelly Ubre here uh, in a second, but I did think the Lamello pick and roll passing was good mm-hmm. because that game could have, couldn't have been a lot of fun. I know it's just a preseason game, but uh, you know things were kind of falling apart for Charlotte, and I just thought his sort of like steady pick and roll operation was good. He also hit like a nice um, fadeaway out of the pick and roll as well. I think it was maybe it was a one on one possession, but I thought it was sort of like pick and roll. He got into the lane, um, you know, high arcing touch on the on the like the mid range fadeaway too. So I, I thought Lamelo. Um, in you know about 27 minutes tonight, did some pretty impressive stuff. Seven assists, 12 points. Um, I know he didn't shoot it great, didn't miss all of his three point attempts, but you know, I mean, we are used to this guy's abilities as a passer, his ability to get to different places on the court and, and really set guys up for for great looks. Um, you know, it's just gonna be can this guy's 
kind of can the scoring come along with it? Can mm-hmm. the pull up shooting come along with it? Can the mid range scoring come along with it? Um, he's certainly capable of doing it, but I just think the ask is going to be so big on him. Um, yeah, I mean, the game plan for the opposing team is all on him. So he's, yeah, they're going to take yeah. something away from him. Yeah, yeah. And look, once Hayward comes back, that's going to, that will help. I mean, not from like pure a rim pressure standpoint, but Hayward, when healthy, is going to take on a, you know, you're going to have to put a good defender on him and he can play matchup ball with LaMelo. You can use him as a screener for LaMelo to, to get guys off of uh, of ball and, and or to get him off of LaMelo and, and have Hayward attack a certain matchup. So he helps in a lot of ways. And obviously, Gord Hayward's a pretty good passer. LaMelo is a terrific you know, spot up relocation artist, three point shooter. He's almost 43% on off shooting off the catch from deep last year on, on four and a half attempts per game. So like in, I think he was around 1.2 points per possession on spot up. So like LaMelo is pretty special um, when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Some of the less good stuff. Uh, can we go to the wing? Are you cool with us moving over to some of the wings and the guards on this? Yeah, roster? sure. But I, I do want to mention real quick on LaMelo. I thought he had his uh, floater working early tonight. Yeah. Uh, I feel, like, yeah. feel like he made like three or four of them in the first half alone. And just one quick thing about him too. Like I, this is just such a simple thing that I noted. It's not unexpected that he would do this, but it was a really unselfish play when he had a two Oh fast break. Uh, he could have easily taken it all the way, but he rewarded PJ for, PJ, for yeah. running with him. But uh, yeah, let's go over to the wings. Um, yeah. I know you wanted to talk about Ubre. My, my only note on Ubre that I had for this game, literally only note active on boards slash hit a couple corner three point shots. But uh, it sounds like you had yeah. more thoughts on him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and I guess he had the one the one corner three in the first half off of a really nice pass by LaMelo. Like just LaMelo getting into the paint and just a perfect kickout pass to Ubre. But once again, it was the off-ball defense with Ubre. That was just it's <laughs> it should it should be embarrassing. Like it just takes one pin down screen, one flare, one relocation. I, I I'm certain I said this after the Boston game. But it's like you don't even need to run like crazy action to get to just completely take this guy out of the play. It can be a a, a can totally telegraphed down screen to whomever Kelly Oubre is guarding. And it's not like he's being matched up with Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. It's like chasing around Aaron Neesmith, you know, and just getting just getting cooked, uh, chasing around Ben Ben Mather in one of his first buckets. Um, in the first half was Indiana ran a uh, little veer action. Miles Turner set a down screen for Matherin. Ubre wasn't ready for it. He got clocked by the screen. Matherin got all the way down the rim and finished over the top of, of Nick Richards. And so, you know, Richards ends up being the, the defender on that possession, but only because Kelly Ubre was sent to another universe by a pin down screen. And it just, that stuff just happens a, a couple times every game with him. Um, you know, I didn't see. I saw a fair amount of Ubre play prior to coming to Charlotte last season, but you know, really tracking all of these games the last since he arrived here, it's just man, the amount of defensive breakdowns from him is uh, it's uh, it's not good. That's for sure. And then I, I would also like to slide over and talk about last year's lottery pick. Um, James book night. Yeah, we can, you know, I feel bad because, um, for, for a couple of reasons, one, you know, he talked a week or so ago about kind of, uh, you know, have a newfound confidence that he had this season. Right. And that he was sort of feeling the belief from Steve Clifford and the rest of the coaching staff. And that was inspiring him. And it's something he didn't feel like he had a year ago. And I also think there is some we, we we can point to the blame that I I don't think the team has done a great job involving him or um, integrating him into the system. And we'll see how that goes this season. You can see they're they're trying to route some of the offense through him when it's he and Terry Rozier playing uh, on ball and Lamelo's on the bench. Um, but man, I mean, he can't. He tried to drive one-on-one on TJ McConnell tonight. He got ripped. Yeah. Uh, he got ripped from behind by Kendall Brown um, on a ball screen later. Um, uh, who tried was bringing the ball up the court with Aaron Neesmith um, playing, you know, full court one-on-one defense. And uh, he didn't get ripped, but Neesmith knocked the ball out and ended up forcing uh, an eight-second violation yep. Yep. later in the game. And I do think, I can't remember who was inbounding the ball. Maybe it was Thor or Richards, but Indiana scores. Uh, one of the big guys for Charlotte's taking the ball out from underneath the basket. They throw it into book night. Kind of not a great pass, you know, little probably a little too much air underneath it. And it gave McConnell enough time to run over and get into book night space. 
um, I can't remember, did Book Knight travel or did he dribble it like off his foot? It was it resulted in a turnover. I think he traveled um on the play. So Yes, yes, he did. You know, really tough, you know, three turnovers, but it, it felt like it was more than that. Struggled to finish um in the paint, struggled to finish shooting off the catch. There was another catch and shoot opportunity he had in the first half that he could have stepped into and let it rip. Um he ended up passing the ball out. Um, it just I feel like there are glaring issues in terms of confidence, in terms of what's being asked of him on the basketball and how I just I, it just it, I'm surprised that um we're now we're now doing this a, a sec, essentially a second year now of just when when James Booknight is in the game just giving him the ball and just seeing what he can do out of out of nothing like they've got to scheme up if if you want to involve Booknight which I think you should in the offense I, again I, I I won't even go down the road of like using him as an off ball mover because you know I've I've beaten that drum too many times but even if you want to get him pick and roll possessions. Like you gotta, you gotta move the defense around a little bit first. It can't just be like let him on an island go one on one against NBA defenders because that is just not working right now, and you're putting him in a bad spot. And um, it, it's getting to be like kind of frustrating. Actually, um, it's disappointing that James Booknight can't like take those guys one on one. That the handle isn't there, or the passing isn't quite there yet. Um, if he's able to draw help or if there isn't, if there's a breakdown and someone's open, but like, it's just, you're asking, you're putting him in a tough spot. And I think it's kind of unfair. Um, at the same time, you know, he doesn't look very good. And so I just think in both directions, these things are not going well right now. And, um, I, you know, I don't know where you were necessarily where you go from here other than, you got to build. You got to try to build up his confidence a little bit more, and you got to find some stuff that you're just like. When we run this, we feel very good about what James can do offensively. But it just can't be. It just cannot be like give him the ball and see what happens. <laughs> like uh, I'm sorry, it's just that's horrible process uh, at this stage, um, and I, I really don't care to see it uh, anymore. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts on? No, that? I was just going to add to that about just maybe it being a byproduct of the backup point guard position and they think that book Knight is this guy that can create off the dribble. Now he did show some of that in Yukon, but to your point, he's probably better utilized as an off ball player. Like you don't want him have the ball in his hands too often. Maybe like you said, after the, the ball has been swung around a couple of times and he can make something happen late in the shot clock. But like some of his dribbling now just has no creation created. Like he he is he is dribbling the air out of the ball. Yeah, like you he's give him th- some advantage. You have to give him some advantage and then say go with it. It yeah. can't be attack a standstill defense. No, yeah, like, standstills. Yeah, he's not doing anything against a standstill defense. Like, and you know, part of that is him too, just not trying to be aggressive and trying to get into the um, you know the paint. He's going a lot of east west, and I think he, you know, one of the few players on the roster, Ubre included that tends to get into a habit of dribbling with no real plan, no real purpose. And, you know, you saw the issues like you were mentioning earlier of just the pest that TJ McConnell is and forcing travels, forcing eight second violations and getting the ball stolen and stuff like that. His best 
assets is not with the ball in his hands, even though he can do that uh, on occasion. So yeah, I agree with you 100%. But I do wonder if it is a byproduct of the fact that, hey, Tara Rozier right now is our backup point guard. Book Knight seems to be like another guy that could have the ball in his hands. So -hmm. let's try to use him as much as possible. But the the end product is just not what you're what you're expecting. Yeah, I think that's correct. By the way, I I agree with you on that. But if even if that's the case, it's still there still has to be you've got like there has to be something before his on-ball opportunities are getting launched. Like his two best possessions, in my opinion, in the Boston game were, and I clipped both and put them on Twitter the other day. It was the same action where like Terry Rozier brought the ball up. He threw it to book night on the wing. Rozier cut off like a, a UCLA screen from the center. You know, if it was Richards or, or, or Plumlee or Williams, I don't remember who, whom it was, and then Rozier would then come off that UCLA screen, cut to the weak side, and so empty out the corner. And then they would run empty, uh, empty corner, empty side pick and roll with Book Knight in the five. And he got downhill and created an open three point opportunity for Rozier on the first one. And on the second one, Boston like kind of botched the switch. He attacked like he he used his handle, got by. Um, you know, I think it was Grant Williams on a bad closeout, and then he, you know, he over dribbled, and um, Peyton Pritchard uh, drew a charge, so it was a turnover. But like, at least he got to the paint, like that scene in to both times to the restricted area, and it's like that is seems to be a foreign concept. If it's just hey, one on one, go get it, you know. So at least there are ways you can do it, but uh, I'd, so I'd like to see more of that. You know, I do think they need some they're going to need some on ball stuff from him this year. They're going to need his ability to to create um, because I just don't know where else they're going to get it from as far as like the roster, like how it's you know constituted yeah. currently. But you've just got to be it, it has to be there has to be some scheme behind it, at least for now. Like maybe he turns a corner or something, but um it, it for the time being that I just don't it, right now. I it just, it's not happening. So I'm hoping for the best. They need him to be good this year. And, uh, you know, I'm pulling for him as a young prospect, but this, this thing is moving in the wrong direction right now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the, ch- the change of coaching staff, like you mentioned, maybe he has more confidence in them, but I, I don't know if you can really blame JB or that Borrego that is not not James Book Knight uh, yeah. for Book Knight's uh, struggles in the first year because I, I do think it's partly on both the player and the organization and it feels like we're having the same conversation that we had in <laughs> game one against Boston was just with the lack of playmaking in the backup unit and uh, Dennis Smith did not play tonight and I would really have loved to see him play with like the the second unit as a primary backup point guard because we really didn't see that in game one um but he was out for personal reasons and uh rosier it sounds like the plan uh, everything that we've heard and obviously the rotations too that rosier is going to get the majority of the backup point guard positions and i just think taking the ball or you know putting the ball in his hands is really not something that highlights his strengths like he just sure (laughs) yeah he just doesn't make a whole lot uh, in terms of uh creating for others he did have a a lobbed jt thor on a baseline cut he had two he had two actually two of them them. yeah one in the first half one in the second half where uh middle pick and roll thor did a nice job crashing from the corner and got to the rim and yeah rosier hit him for lobs but yeah um but yeah you're like you're that that doesn't diminish your point like that's not rosier's strength you know 
We do have a question, not a speaker per se, but a question that came in here. Thoughts on McGowan's. And uh, McGowan's was the leading scorer off the bench, albeit uh, a lot of it in garbage time. He had nine points in 11 minutes. Uh, He scored most of his points, or not most of his points. He scored four of his nine from the free throw line. Um, So that shows some Mm -hmm. aggression there and one of four from behind the arc. And I don't know if he's asking this because of the play from book night and as a follow-up, you know, maybe I know he's on a two way, but like could McGowan's be a guy that usurps book night uh, when it comes to minutes? I, I don't know if we're at that point yet uh, because he is yeah. on a two way and I think it's very hard to judge preseason games and it's very hard to judge garbage time of preseason games. But he, he seems like a guy that is willing to move the ball a little bit more and, um, if he does drive or if he does dribble, he's doing it with a purpose. And Book Knight doesn't seem to be doing that right now. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on McGowan yeah. so far. No, no, I do actually. Oh, really? Like, yeah, I know that that probably comes as a, a huge surprise, but no, I think um, I think like it's a it's maybe a small little footnote, but I think his slashing, which is something he showed he could do at Nebraska, um, has shown up on, in these preseason games. Like he had a yeah like a, a nice drive that he drew a foul on uh, early in this game, attacking, getting into, you know, a, a gap um, in the, the game against Boston. I mean, it happened with like 90 seconds left. So most people probably turn that game off, but um, he got like a, he got Justin Jackson um, from Boston on a switch and he drove, he was like, you know, left, I guess like left side wing, he drove towards the nail and JD Davison slid over and showed good help at the elbow nail area. McGowan's backed it ball out like a step. And then he isolated versus Jackson had this beautiful step through move and then finished over the top of him. And um, I was like, really, I was quite impressed. I know it came in garbage time and I know Justin Jackson's not Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, but it was still an impressive play. And this gets back to what we talked about with McGowan's this summer what I came away with scouting him before the draft, like he's long and he can get to the rim in a couple of different ways. He ended up getting blocked at one point in this game, but he had a really nice cut. I think LaMelo found him crashing in and either Jackson or Turner rejected him, but look, he's got some length. He's got some creativity. Uh, He can get to the rim. Um, And so this question about McGowan's versus book night, like, at this stage, Book Knight still a lottery pick from you know a year and a half ago. McGowan's still on a two-way, a second-round pick. But like, let's revisit that question in a month <laughs> or two months, right? Like, let's seriously, um, because they're they are thirsting for guys that can create and get downhill and get into the paint. And um, I mean, I don't think McGowan's is ready to do that on like a nightly basis. He's going to have to get stronger, obviously, but man, like he is someone that theoretically could provide that for them this season. So and it, not there yet, but yeah. let's, let's like, I don't know. I do think it's something worth monitoring. It also feels like they're utilizing him better than book night to your point. Yeah. 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 I agreed. And yeah. by the way, like, I mean, I don't know if you want to just like real quickly, the offensive numbers from tonight, 34 and a half percent shooting field goal attempts, 21%, nine of 43 on threes. Um, they got to the line a fair amount, but 20 assists on 33 field goals. That's, that's like, you know, kind of the ratio you're probably looking for, but 18 turnovers tonight. Mm. 
Um, and in game one against Boston, 35 field goal attempts, only 13 assists. That's not what you want. Obviously, the, sh- the shooting was terrible. Five of 33 from deep in that game, 15%. Um, they also had 13 turnovers. So, you know, at this stage, too, we're looking at just two games. It's preseason, lots of garbage time. But, you know, the Hornets with a, uh, a 33 to 31 assist to turnover ratio through two games. Um, I mean, this is just like, this is not LaMelo ball, you know? Like, this is this is not the system that they've, that they've, they looked, they were so entertaining. If, I mean, frustrating at times, certainly, but like, we're so entertaining and downright good on offense last season. But, um, you know, they brought, they have a lot of roster continuity, but they're missing a guy who was their ultimate pressure point on the rim with, uh, with bridges. And it, uh, it just for right now, for the time being with Hayward out, it seems to have really, really, really short circuited them because their blend's not there. It's just not there. Like they don't have the flow. The side to side stuff isn't happening with the same kind of tempo. Um, you know, unless you get those possessions where it's LaMelo pick and roll, you know, kick out PJ Washington makes the nice read in the corner to make the shoot or make the extra pass. And that ball starts popping around and just, you know, you see the remnants of it, but right now it's just, it's not there. Their blend, their chemistry, uh, that stuff is just not there um, in the half court offense at the moment. Yeah, I, I do want to mention uh, two things, one on Plumley, one on Richards, and then we will get to any speaker requests. We do have Cam lined up here. So after I mention my quick thoughts on Plumley and Richards, we'll get Cam on um, and then start to wrap things up. So Plumley, fairly inefficient from the field, but I thought he just was like his usual self tonight. I think that, you know, at times he did look bad, but I will say that he is decisive. And that's something that I would like to point out in an otherwise ugly game for the Hornets. He like touches the ball probably too often, but more, but more often than not, like he's trying to look to move the ball. Like he's, it's it's almost like he means well, he means well, he's, he's trying to move the ball. And I think fans definitely cringe a bit when he takes the ball up the court off of a board, but he did have, I want to say two or three occasions um, in the first half where it led directly to points, one on a backdoor pass to Rozier for a bucket. And -hmm. then there was another one where he got like a hockey assist. And then Nick Richards, um, he was much better tonight than he was against Boston, or at least in, in my estimation, it felt like he was in the right place on both ends of the court, really, really active on the boards on both ends. And he even had one pick and roll lob alley-oop from Mm LaMelo. And I remember mentioning on a, uh, a recent pod that, probably one of his more underrated skills is Richards out of the pick and roll as a role man. And my one concern with Richards tonight is that there were times where I feel like he just tries to do too much that is like out of his like realm of possibilities. He missed two dunks. One of them was like on an attempted putback. Like he just doesn't scream a putback, you know, finisher to me, like as yeah. just grabbing it with his left hand without even gathering it and trying to dunk it all in one motion. So those were my quick thoughts on the, on those two bigs, but uh, Cam, uh, you're on, what do you have? Hey guys. Uh, so appreciate you guys covering the, the preseason game. Obviously it's just preseason. Um, it sounds like the analysis is much more like, developmentally based how can we maximize the players that we have on our roster when that maximization is not necessarily to the point 
you know, where we thought we might be. My, my main issue, it's not really an issue, it's just a question, and it's partly rhetorical, and I think that, you know, conversation with Brian offline probably kind of guide this. How do you watch that, that G League Ignite game last night with Scoot and Vic? <laughs> and how are you Michael Jordan and say, like, yeah, let's just go for the 10 spot with the roster we have? Um, I love LaMelo Ball. I think he's an incredible player. I think he is, is, is a wildly talented player. But I see him much more as a ceiling raiser than a floor raiser. Um, that could definitely change. He's only been in the league for two years. Um, you know, he could have like kind of a Morant, a John Morant type third year. Uh, but I'm, I'm just a little worried that he's, you know, he's not a top, not a top 20 type of guy who can be the, the anchor of a perennial playoff team. And if that's, you know, if he's, if he's not, then we're, Screwed. Um, you know, I, I like a lot of the players on the team. Like if Hayward play, like if Hayward plays awesome and Razier plays awesome and Ball is awesome, then we are at best in the eighth seed. Those, those that's a lot of ifs. Yeah, it's just yeah. Kind of, at best. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Sorry, sorry about the pup uh, in the background. It's just kind of <laughs> you know like why why are we not? And then we have those two expired. You know, Hayward's coming up on the end of his deal. Rozier is not quite close, but those two guys could definitely be like, yeah, I'm, I, I want to go. Some, they're old enough, but they can be like, yeah, I want to go somewhere else. Uh, I just don't yeah. really. Well, there were those, there were those, there were those murmurs with Hayward after last season, right? Yeah, I, just, I, I just don't know what we're doing. Like, what, you have to adjust. Like, I know that. Yeah, this this team would have been super fun. It, it would have been really exciting to see where where this team could have gone with with like Miles. And, some, and 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 Mark, and like kind of trying to build, but that that's over. That like you got to adjust. This is yeah. the, this is the adjustment. Yeah. Like you, and it seems it does seem like Clifford is more willing to be like, yeah, we're going to see how this goes. Uh, but I would like yeah. at, at some point, and I don't know if you, and it seems like kind of both of you agree. From you know, we talked a lot and been on this podcast a lot. Like at some point, pretty early here, we just got to cut bait and just see what we can get. You know, if we, if we can get Scoot, Scoot and LaMelo would be incredible. Vic is just obviously like yeah. pipe dream. But even like the, either of the Thompson twins or Dariq Whitehead, who's who's the Duke, you yeah. know, they're a cup there. It's a not weak draft, you know, it's just, but we can't, there's no reason to be dicking around trying to get to the 10 spot. We've done that before and gotten our ass beat and we're not as good of a team as we've been the past two years. Uh, so I don't really know what yeah. the question is there. Yeah. Uh, apologies for the rant. No. Uh, especially after having <laughs> no, watched this game, I'll be there uh, for the first game. You know, I don't know if I'll be rooting on Zion or hoping for the, the team to do well. You know, Brian knows what that conundrum is like. <laughs> but uh, let you guys respond. Appreciate, really appreciate all the all yeah. the work and all the thoughts. All, always the best. Appreciate it, guys. We appreciate it. And Brian, we'll end on this. I'll just give my quick thoughts because I, I did not watch that game uh, with Vic. So you probably can speak more to him as a player. And I know that you're going to do a podcast, I think, coming up about him. But 
Mm-hmm. I think the problem with the Hornets right now, with Michael Jordan as the owner, you do wonder if he's going to get antsy and rather make a move the other way in terms of trying to push for the eighth spot uh, and make a move that way. I think it's going to be so hard for the Hornets to get to a point to where they are in the tier of the truly like tanking teams. Sure, they're going to be poor this year. Uh, they're probably going to be like an 11th, 12th seed in the East but record wise, like I don't know exactly where they're going to fall, but it's it's not going to be in the. I wouldn't say it's in the bottom three or four. Like I just I just can't. It, obviously by math, math, that's not going to work. The eleventh or twelfth seed. So they've got to get to a point. We've talked about this before, where they realize that this is going nowhere, and they start to trade off or start to field offers for Rozier and Hayward. But it could be at a point where it's just too late, and uh, it's almost like they're going to keep hope alive as long as they possibly can. And yeah. at that point, it, it could be too late if they do make a move for that. So I just don't see it happening. But this would be the I perfect mean, year to do it. I mean, we've been, Richie, you and, and, and obviously, obviously Lee now too, but you and me and Spencer for years on this podcast, for years, I'm talking about like five to six years, <laughs> have been have been pondering this exact same question going back to when Steve Clifford was literally the head coach previously, like wondering what is the value at that time? There was no, there wasn't even a a freaking play in tournament. And we were wondering why would you, why would you constantly push for this? Why would you, why would you gun for the eighth seed other than just being like, uh, you get to host two playoff games. Um, So there's, there's some money that comes with it. And, and look, you know, don't want to deny the fact that it probably does suck to be a part of an organization that is in a tank. Like, I mean, I think there are ways you can be creative with it and 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 be patient and kind of like lean into it and and use your marketing department and social media staffs to to sell the young guys and sell development and like there's ways you can do it and you can come out on the other side and like the possibilities just seem like endless. Um, and that's not necessarily the case, but like, look at a team like, like, look at like Orlando and Houston right now. It didn't even take that long for Houston. James Harden started on their roster in 2020 and like, look at them now. Yeah. Look, Jalen Green, Tari Eason, who the Hornets could have had in the draft this past season, uh, Alperin Sengun, um, Usman Garuba, Ty Ty Washington, Kevin Porter Jr. I know they didn't draft him, but they they took a flyer on him. And you just look at up and down that obviously um, Jabari too, and those dudes could end up with Scoot or Wembenyama. Uh, so you could say the same thing for Orlando, and they're already loaded up with guys like Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter Jr., Paolo Bencaro, and like they may end up with one of those guys too. The tough part is, and Richie, I think you were getting at this as well. Um, has been if you're not committed to the tank or to the getting one of these guys and look, maybe last night changes some minds, you know, but if you're not committed to it, then it's like, you're already too late. Cause, cause already five or six teams are like that. That's the plan. You know, Utah would love to go zero and 82 next season. And certainly like, even if you, end up with the best odds of getting the number one pick. There's still no guarantees, but yeah, yeah. It, it does feel like some of these prospects, especially the top three of, of Wembenyama, Scoot, 
in Eamon Thompson. It's like, it, it's hard. Like these guys are like hard to believe they're real prospects. That's how good they are. But we've been, we've been begging the Hornets to do this. Even when the draft wasn't loaded up like this, do you know what I mean? It now it feels especially heavy this year where you're looking at this roster and being like, God, they need another young star to put next to LaMelo to really be cooking with something. Um, so if the, the pressure feels like even more sort of like weighty this season, but this has been the deal for since, since the 2016 off season, basically when they, when they pay, paid a bunch of money to bring guys back Batum and, and who's still amazingly on the books and, and Marvin Williams um, and you know, the extension with Cody Zeller and like, it's just, they've been in this endless cycle for so long now. And if they end up in the, the 11th seed in the Eastern Conference, they're going to end up picking eight, you know, eighth or ninth or 10th or 11th. Like they do this every year. It's incredible how often they end up in this spot. The fact that LaMelo Ball is on this roster is a miracle. It's a miracle. Yeah, jumped up. It's, they jumped up and then Golden State took James Wiseman. Like they got so lucky. Um, it's, it's crazy. So, uh, you know... <laughs> Richie, the pod we did the other day was called "What's the Plan?" Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, and this is this is this is central to all of that because the, at some point they're going to have to decide like, what are we doing this season? And they've got to figure it out soon. Um, they don't. I, I think maybe the hope could be that you could go to the front office, could go to ownership, and they could go to the coaching staff, and they could say. Look, this doesn't have to be a multi-year thing. We know neither of these sides have the patience for this, right? Like you guys don't want to be, you don't want to do the Oklahoma City thing, even if that's really like not a bad path to take. But we'll do this just for one year, right? Can, can we sell you on one year of this? Like it's still just Lamelo's third year. He's got another year left on the rookie contract. You can clear off some salary that's on the books. You can get a, you know, Hayward's going to become an expiring contract. Like just give us one year to try to get one of these guys. So maybe you can sell it on that, but man, you better be committed. I mean, you got to be ready to do it from the jump. I think it could like potentially like one of the saving graces for this team long-term could be (laughs) because I've thought about this the last couple of days, like, it will, I mean, we'll see what they look like with when Hayward comes back. But like, even if they are trying to win, like they may just not be good enough to do it. Like the offense looks shot right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's too early to to say that. But like, this is why I took the under. Like Richie, you and I did over and under win total for them this season. I took the under on it when I went on Nate Duncan's podcast uh, to fill in for Spencer the other earlier this week or late last week, whenever that was. I took the under on that as well. Uh, again, because I just don't, I don't see them being, I don't see them being very good this year. Um, and it just, yeah. Can they be bad enough to put themselves in a place to get one of these defining talents? Lee and I did the pod on scoot. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Well, we did the one on oh, scoot. On scoot. On like scoot. Yeah, 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 yeah. We haven't done the one on Victor Wembenyama yet, but man, he's special. And like people, even after last night, obviously everyone is freaking out about those two guys. They played incredible at the first game in Vegas. I can't wait to see them playing game two. But, like, man, Eamon Thompson is sick, too. Like, elite defensive wing who can also be a primary creator and is, with that size and length, a freak athlete. 
And you just can't overlook that. Like it, it's just impossible to ignore. And um, I don't know, this season really, I think is going to be the thing that sets up, like it sides what the next five years look like for Charlotte, which I think is stating the obvious because all this stuff is connected, but, but really there seem to be a lot of eggs um, in the basket. And, uh, I don't know, you just, at the end of the day, you hope Charlotte doesn't drop the basket and crack all the eggs, you know, <laughs> like you, you hope they do something good with it. Yeah, Cause there's one fragile egg in there. He will, he will crack real easily. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, better, you better, you better duct tape and yeah. get extra padding and pillows. Uh, and look, I like, you know, with Hayward, like I'm like, it does seem like there's some frustrated from the front, some frustration that he's not playing right now. I'm sure he wants to play. I'm sure Steve Clifford would love to have him play. I get why they're not doing it, yeah, but I understand exactly. why every I understand why everyone, fans, team, media, whomever, like I get why people are like frustrated by it. Like it's it's not ideal, certainly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Hopefully we answered the question like Cam was saying. It was not much of a question, more of a rant, but uh, we have the same feelings. It was funny. I was listening to uh, the Knicks Film School podcast the other day, and I think it was John uh, that mentioned this, but if, you're, if your win total begins with a three, you are probably not where you want to be. Like It, yeah. it, it either needs to yeah. be in the, the 20s or the 40s or the 50s, but the threes, like the Hornets are probably projected to be around that 33, 35 range. Yeah. It's so true. Man. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's so true. Like yeah. in the unsurprisingly, that's why the over under win total for the Hornets is what? 35 or 36. 36 and a half. I think. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it's, uh, it's, uh, it, I mean, all of that adds up, you know, checks out. Yeah. And to, and to your point, they may not have to like tank per se. They, they just may be, you know, bad enough, but I don't think they're going to get to that point to where they're in the 20s uh, in terms of the record. And one thing, too, like I just thought about this as we were speaking before we wrap here. I just want to mention this quick thought. Like if the Hornets were to trade Hayward, were to trade Rozier, the team that would be taking them on most likely would be a team, I would assume, that would be in some kind of playoff contention. And so having said that, unless that team has some kind of other first-round pick, you would be receiving a first-round pick that would not be necessarily in the lottery if you get a first-round pick out of that. I know you can package picks. I know you can try to move up as much as possible. And I know by trading Rozier and Hayward, the team would bottom out a little bit. But again, I, I keep going back to the point. I think if they do make that decision, it, it probably is going to be a, too little, too late. So, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's hilarious that, like, you know, the Hornets, this team that's rebuilding, like, more recently, they've traded a lottery pick. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like the, the Jalen Dern. Yep. Yep. Know, yep. I mean, it's just, it's, um, it's that, it's, that happened it's before. Good, it's not good business, man. It's that happened before miles, right? Yes. I mean, days apart. Yeah. Um, okay. But like, look, like this is, we said this on the pod. I know Spencer's mentioned this. He tweeted about this. Like they could have, you know, uh, you know, they could have signed hypothetically. They could have before, obviously before miles bridges, committed and was charged with a heinous crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, theoretically they could have maxed miles bridges. They could have drafted someone at 13 and 15. They could have come into the season over the tax and they could have moved Ubre and Plumley right for, you know, and then gotten underneath Yeah, like expiring contracts. It may have cost you some draft fodder, right. but you could have done it and they didn't. And then it all blew up in their face. Yeah, for the tax purposes, all that matters is at the end of the season. So, exactly. um, 
we're going to go ahead and end here because we went uh, twice as long as we said we would, Brian. Um, Crap, man. Yeah, that's always the case. We do have a promotion for BuzzBeat Plus Substack, uh, but you have to take advantage of it by October 10th. Uh, normally for $35 a year, you do get our ad-free, our exclusive, our episodes early, uh, but we're running a sale for 20% off an annual subscription. So I think that comes out to $28. You're, you're saving $7, which is not a lot to begin with. So definitely check out that link in the description uh, and see if the perks are worth it for you. For Brian, I'm Richie. We will talk to you guys later. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.